so much uh, for all that you have uh, already accomplished in our life, Lord God. We thank you uh, that you've uh, given us another Sunday, uh, another day full of your grace and your mercy, Lord God, to come before your presence amongst other brothers and sisters uh, in the faith, Lord God, uh, just to hear your word, Lord God, and hear how you want to touch us and how you want to talk to us. Uh, so therefore, Father, we open up our hearts and our minds uh, that uh, we would receive your word, which is intended for us. It's intended for me, Lord God, and uh, not anyone else. Uh, so, Father, help us, help me, Lord God, to embrace what you're saying on this day, Lord God. Uh, thank you, Lord God, in advance for, 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 for giving us, Lord God, a real time word right now in the here in the now meant to build us up Lord God meant to align us according to your will so father again make your word strong in our hearts today and God we remove all the dross and all the hindrances and all the things Lord God that prevent us from oppressing into your presence so we love you and we thank you for what you're doing in our life in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, back in the news a few weeks ago was the infamous red light camera situation. Right when we thought it was all over, it returns with more revelations and more intrigue. As you know, for years, many people have, have loathed of the red light camera due to its aggressive uh, approach in ticketing drivers and then sending that ticket in the mail weeks later. Isn't that fun? I can say that I've never received one. I, I can say someone in my house has received one and the bill came to my name. But I have never received one. Uh, again, uh, that uh, red light camera system was touted as uh, a safety system uh, that would keep our citizens safe from traffic scoff laws. Our city, as you know, that they were really concerned about drivers injuring pedestrians uh, through their constant disregard uh, for the traffic laws. The lead leaders of the city needed to do something about it. So as we know, these drivers, that they were ticketed by the thousands. I would say some rightfully and others maybe not. But we all knew, or at least we all discovered, that there was a hint of hypocrisy going on when we discovered and we heard that many of the cameras failed to meet federal guidelines in their own timing, and these cops in the box. So in one sense, uh, the political leaders, they celebrated the fact that, uh, man, look at how many people are breaking the law. But on the other hand, the cameras themselves, whoever set the cameras, that they were actually breaking the law. So on the one hand, they were catching folks because you're breaking the law, but in catching those people, they were what? Breaking the law. 
Frankly, to me, I don't know about to you, that's completely inexcusable. Maybe you like getting those tickets. I don't even like the idea of getting the tickets. When I, when I think about it, I just cringe on the inside. But then to top it all off, in addition, there were revelations that the lead personnel from that red light company admitted that they broke the law by paying off people to obtain the city contract for the red light cameras that was supposed to catch people breaking the law. This is absolute crazy logic and indefensible in many ways. Now, some of these individuals have, have finally gotten their day in court, and it is the judge who's deciding who is right and who's not. But as we see, hypocrisy has been seated in the heart of people and it has grown to the point of inoculating the conscience of many folks. Some folks, they are living this way, they're thinking, really, there's nothing wrong with it. Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2 begins with calling out people that are familiar with similar type of circumstance. In other words, they see what is wrong in another individual while they themselves do exactly the same thing. Right? You know how it is. Some folks who are trying to tell you what to do and you tell them you can't tell me what to do because you're doing the same thing. It is in that place that we have found others and ourselves, quite frankly, which deals with the duality of, of the human heart. Uh, that thing inside of us which is so quick uh, to cast judgment on another, yet we ourselves are doing exactly the same thing. Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 and the New Living Translation says this. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? In other words, Jeremiah the prophet says, uh, do you really know how bad your heart is? There is, however, a right assessment or judgment of things. And then there is a judgment or an assessment of things that is completely flawed. So today we're going to look at here in Romans chapter 2. Two types of judgment. The judgment of people and the judgment of God. Romans chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, <laughs> therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. Get that. 
Verse 2. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourselves, that you will escape the judgment of God? (laughs) Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Here, uh, Paul is saying, beginning in verse 1, he says that judgment on people brings judgment on self. Now, uh, before we get into this, I know some of you, uh, again, in the back of your mind, you're thinking about, uh, when you think about people are going wrong and then you hear things like this, you're saying, therefore, I'm not judging anyone uh, about anything anymore. So when someone does something wrong, you have nothing to say. But this is not at the heart of what Paul is saying at this passage. Uh, Scripture, Jesus says basically that when we're living according to his righteousness that we can judge sin. Amen? Uh, Well, we don't judge the eternality of an individual, but we can judge sin. When we see sin, we can call it sin. Right? When you see sin, you can call it a sin. Call it for what it is. But if you don't know, hold your judgment. But here uh, in verse 1 of Romans 2, Paul says, therefore, right? And you already know my spill on therefore. And when you ask, see the word therefore, you always ask the question, what? Let's try it again. Some of you got it. Some of you remembered. Some of you didn't. Anytime you see the word therefore, you ask yourself the question, what? What is it therefore? And therefore is here because it connects us all the way back to chapter 1 of Romans, which dealt with the righteousness of God being revealed from faith to faith here in Romans chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. It says the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith while the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men. Now, uh, we get to Romans 2, Romans chapter 2, and it makes a deduction about uh, what was said previously concerning that faith. That faith of righteousness and the rejection of that faith in unrighteousness. So what is Paul then saying here in Romans chapter 2? Well, we already read it. He says, therefore, we connect it with chapter 1, therefore, uh, because uh, folks have it in their mind that I'm going to reject God, uh, even though I have all the evidence, I'm going to say no to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to say no. Paul says, because... There are individuals who have seen all the information and yet they bring judgment on other folks. He says, therefore, you old man, whoever you are, you don't have an excuse. He says you don't have an excuse. This refers to anyone that judges another according to the standards of God yet live as if the demands of God doesn't even apply to them. Here it says... When Paul says no excuse, 
This refers to a person's inability to defend their position about something uh, that, that was made clear to them. This compound word that we have here, uh, no excuses, uh, anapologetos, uh, right? And if you're familiar with uh, apologetics in Scripture, right, uh, this is a compound word that combines the word uh, apologetics with the word not, anapologetics, not apologetics, not Defense, no defense, you have no defense, you have no excuse from coming to the table from where you are because you know better. You don't have an excuse, brothers. Sisters, you don't have an excuse because you know better. Now on the one hand, uh, if you get caught by a red light camera, right, like some people that I know, right, and I've seen the video, right, the light was red. I mean, it wasn't like yellow, right? Uh, the, the, the light wasn't green, and then when they made it across the line, it turned yellow, right? And then before they made it to the other line, it was red. It was like, uh, I've seen this video, it was like the light was red all the way through, and they went straight through the red light. And all I can say is, oh well. No, I can say something about it, but what nothing I can do. The light was red. So you can deny all you want. The light wasn't red, the light wasn't red, the light wasn't red. But when you look at the video and you see for yourself that the light is red, you can deny it all you want. And one thing that you know is you do not have a defense. Old man or old woman, whoever you are, who go through the red light camera, you don't have an excuse for saying that the, the light was not red because the light was red. The evidence laid out becomes damaging to those who call themselves to reject or to deny the truth. Another area that a person is indefensible is and what the moon, the stars, and the constellations indicates. Of course, it doesn't stop there, but continues in the existence of all things that uh, are of God's creation, like the trees and the grass and the animals. God never tells us to worship those things, but God, when he places, places those things there for our benefit, he says to look at those things and then you will see through creation that I exist. You can deny all you want, uh, but when you look at all these things, you will see that I exist. Uh, this past week I was looking at an uh, uh, a interview, Charlie Rose, I forget the... Uh, the African-American guy's name, who's the really smart scientist who had all the answers at the television show. What was the guy's name? What was his name? No, no, he's an African-American. I don't think Bill Nye is an African-American. You know what? He has, uh, like, you know, peppered hair. You know what I'm talking about. Pretty popular. I believe our president kind of pumped him up, his show up at one time as well. But as he was talking with Charlie Rose this past week, he had all these answers about the universe and, 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 and talking about how, how this came about, how this came about, how this came about. And, 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 and Charlie Rose, he kept drilling down and kept drilling down and kept drilling down. And then finally, he asked him, how, well, how do you really, really know? 
And the guy says, well, nobody really knows. So he answers a question to which he doesn't know what the question is. So if you're answering a question not knowing what the question is, how do you know you have the answer right? So the question is, is there a creator? And he's already given an, an answer in complete, complete disregard to the question. He answers another question. Romans chapter 1 verse 20 says, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. There it is. Paul says that when you look outside, that when you leave this building today and you see the trees and the grass and the animals and the sun and the moon and the stars, it says they are indicating God's invisible attribute, and that is his power to create. In the same interview, he was asking about you know, the possibility of there really being earths, uh, other earths just like there is now, and he pretty much conceded. He says, well is looking more and more and more like it that it's a very super duper 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 small chance that there's another earth with people in anywhere else in the universe. He says somehow, he says somehow earth seems to be unique. Do you think? Because in the beginning scripture tells us God did what? He created what? He created the heavens and the earth. Amen. But it's very interesting how the excuses abound. When people can't uh, uh, find existing excuses, they go out and invent things like evolution. As scientists try to figure out, well, how can something come from nothing? Some say it's hard to believe in the creator when we have evolution. Right? Evolution. The fact is, the more they search, the more they realize that the Earth is unique among all other planets anywhere. People can search for all eternity long and find there is none like God. This brings us all the way back to the argument made in verse 1, which began here in chapter 2, which the word therefore. These people uh, were talking about uh, they were all out for God, but were just acting like those who rejected or ignored him uh, right out the gate. And I'm talking about the people here in chapter 2. You see, in, in chapter 1, uh, it's clear and it's very definitive that there are people who denied God and his invisible attributes. This is very clear. And then the people in chapter 2, they were acting just like them, but yet assigning them blame. This is consistent with what we see in the Gospels about the Pharisees and the scribes, who were so particular with their ritual washings, yet were hypocritical in their true response to the Lord. Matthew chapter 23, verse 27. Matthew chapter 23, verse 27. Jesus says this, woe to you, and you know about the woe oracles, that when you hear God say woe, you better watch out. You know somebody's in trouble when Jesus says woe. When the prophet said woe to you, you know that somebody is in big trouble. Matthew 23, 27, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Here's that word right here. 
hypocrites. For you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. They knew about the Lord and learned of him, yet still had the same propensities as those who had only had a revelation of God through nature itself. This is true in Romans and also true in the Gospel of Matthew. These people not only had the revelation of nature about the Lord, but also had the revelation of the word as well. So they had, had the revelation about God and his invisible attributes on the one hand, but here, we're going to call these, these are the Jewish people, they had the revelation in the word as well. Look at Romans chapter 3, verse 2. Romans 3, verse 2. Much in every way, to begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. So the Jews were the purveyors of God's word to all the nations that they engaged. This would make them doubly culpable if there is such a thing. So they were doubly culpable. They had uh, the uh, testimony of nature and then they actually had God's word but yet they took both of those things and they threw them out of the windows. So fallacy. So this is the fallacy of the people who judge others but live in a hypocritical status. Scripture states that, uh, that people who accuse others yet do the same things, uh, they think they have a good reason to do it. They think they have a good reason to do this. Back in Romans chapter 2, verse 3. Romans chapter 2, verse 3. Do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Come on. Come on. How, how are they going to escape the judgment of God? Number one, they think that they will somehow, somehow get away from God's judgment, number one, somehow uh, of the figment of their imagination. And then two, uh, they think that God is so gracious and God is so kind that they don't have to worry about his wrath. They don't have to worry about God being angry. So first, let's deal with this person just thinking that they're going to escape God's judgment. God has many attributes that describe who he is, and, and one of his attributes is consistency. God is holy, and God is righteous. In order for him to be holy and righteous, uh, judgment must also be issued from his, judge, uh, from his throne. So in other words, he's holy, uh, that, that God is righteous, but you can't have holiness and righteousness without judgment and wrath. Right? It's like if, if you can imagine that there is a court system in, in which the only things that happen is everybody comes out on top. Nobody is really judged. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the, uh, the legal system on Indian reservations in the United States. I just found this out yesterday. That on uh, Indian reservations that they have their own court system, that they're completely separate from the U.S. federal court system. And, uh, and one of their plights was that they have individuals who, who actually come on the reservation and commit crimes. So when they are caught that they can issue judgment, but the judgment 
cannot stand because the person who committed the crime on the reservation is not a part of the reservation. Therefore, they can go scot-free. I never knew that. So they're trying to figure out, well, how can we manage this, this U.S. federal thing with the, the, the rights of, of the Indians or the Native Americans on the reservation? How can this be possible? How do we, how do we make this happen? So if you imagine, imagine a society in which you can commit all the crimes you want, and then when you go to court, every time you go to court and you are judged, you're always set free. Always set free. This was, in essence, what they experienced here on the Native American reservation. Our society continues to move down the continuum which attempts to blur the line between what is right and what is wrong. Our society may reach a point where everything uh, becomes neutral and there is no moral right and there is no moral wrong because I have a right to be and do what I want to do as a person and uh, you can't do anything because your hands are tied. <laughs> this would please those who have been plodding down this path through their anti-God rhetoric. Yet, in this case, people were insisting that everyone else abides by the rules, right? So you have to follow the rules, but I can do whatever I want to do. How would that work in your house? How would that work on your job? That uh, they tell you that you have to abide by the rules, and you know what happens all the time. You have to do what is right, but I can do whatever the heck I want to do. But if we follow what Paul has been saying all along, we will see that this person has taken on the thought processes of those who reject that there is a creator in the first place. Romans 1.21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Next. We deal with the man or the woman who thinks that just because they now understand God to be so kind and patient uh, that uh, he will overlook their blatant transgressions. Later in Romans, uh, scriptures takes uh, this case up because there are people who thought they were okay with the Lord uh, just because they relied so heavily on God's grace. Romans chapter 6 verse 1 tells us very clearly. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? In other words, should we continue to live our life of unrighteousness and unholiness so that the grace of God can be shown and be strengthened in our life? And Paul's answer to that question is simply this, absolutely not. Paul says, no way. Paul says, don't, don't think so, buddy. In other words, Paul said these people believe that if they continue to sin willfully, that the atonement of Christ would just continue to cover them. I'm okay. I can sin because Jesus will forgive me. Yeah, have you known any people like that? They think, I'll be okay. I can go ahead and, you know, just be reckless because I know that Jesus got my back. Jesus, I can, I can do and I can say whatever I want to say because at the end of the day, Jesus got my back. I'm not worried about going to hell. Well, you should. Because if you live like that without any regard to God's grace and his mercy, 
It's very possible that you're not living to please him in the first place. So we see that the judgment of people is not in concord or in agreement with the will of God. And now let's look at the judgment of God. It's Romans 2, verse 2. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. So those folks who are hypocritical, the, the, it says the judgment of God will rightly fall on them. His judgment targets those who practice unrighteousness, and it is a sure thing. You, can, you, you may bet on a lot of things in your life. You may go out and buy yourself some lottery tickets. And you may go out and play blackjack or whatever you may do, and you're hoping to win. And you may not win, but in this case, God's judgment, you can bank on God's judgment. God's judgment rightly falls on those, he says, who practice such things. A helpful way of saying this is, God's judgment, which is according to truth, is against those who practice unrighteousness. <laughs> it corresponds to truth. God's judgment corresponds to truth. You see, when we're dealing with people, we know how they can fudge the truth. Amen? Right? If this is truth, in order to meet their ways, they can push either truth up or they can pull it back, right? And then offer a really good excuse, so they think. What is truth? Truth is things and statements that corresponds to reality as determined by God. So it is not you who determine truth. Who determines truth is God himself. And this judging of Jesus, remember Pilate? Pilate came to a crossroads in trying to determine what truth is, but he stumbled. Here in John chapter 18, John chapter 18, the gospel of John chapter 18, verse 37, 38. And Jesus responds to Pilate. He says, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. You see, there it is. Jesus says that if you really want to know the truth, that you got to know me. And then you, when you know me, you know you've been listening to my voice. So in order to know truth, you have to listen to the voice of Jesus Christ, who happens to be the voice of God. But then Pilate, he retorted, verse 38, and he said, he asked them, what is truth? Right? So, so if we know our scripture, we know that Pilate stumbled before God. So Pilate is saying, I don't even know what truth is. But Jesus says, if you know the truth, what? The truth will what? Set you free. But in order to know truth, that truth that Jesus says is to set us free is him. So Jesus says, if you want to know truth, if you want to be set free, that you got to know me. I'll say it again. Jesus says, if you want to know truth, if you really want it, if you're not serious about the faith, Jesus says, it doesn't matter anyway to you. 
But if you really want to find out, he says, come and know me, then you'll know the truth. Then all the burdens you've had in your life, all the way that you have been living, all those things which have kept you down, you will find yourself free because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So when you know Jesus Christ, the Spirit of the Lord comes in to set you free. Pilate's struggle with truth was really his struggle with God. He didn't get it. I'm not sure how many of you know what happened to Pilate after he left office. I'm not sure how many of you realize that Pilate was a real person. I'm not sure how many of you realize that there is actual documented uh, information that tells us what happened to Pilate after he no longer was able to rule there in Jerusalem. Did you know that? There's actually secular writing that tells us what happened to Pilate. But if you want to know, find out for yourself. And then come let me know. Amen? If you really want to know bad enough, and if you can't find it, come to me another month and I'll tell you. Amen? Or find someone, someone really smart in our church who knows like Pastor Scott, and he'll be more than happy to tell you. Amen? But Pilate's life was never the same. Early in Romans 1.18, we read that the unrighteousness of people have suppressed the truth or, or, or refused to allow it to speak in their life. Romans chapter 1.18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. If this is indeed the truth, then how could it be possible to trust anything the suppressors of truth may say in the first place? In this case, it is important that we scrutinize what they say. Amen. Uh, for the last two weeks, I have uh, been in this process of, uh, of sharing with uh, uh, some people uh, that you know, they go on a journey from door to door uh, in your neighborhood. Some of you may experience them to ring your doorbell. Amen. And, uh, and I know many of you are like me, right? I always open the door. I, all, I know, and they always say, well, thank you for opening the door. I'm like, why do they always say that? I guess, I said, I guess people in our church don't open the door for them, right? All right, so you all open the door for them. Uh, so uh, my experience uh, two weeks ago was simply this, was that yeah, they came and they said, well, we know you've heard, been, you, you've heard that there's been a lot of bad news lately. And I said, really? And I said, this is what my problem is. You don't believe in the same Jesus that I believe in. Let's just cut to the chase. Right, so we decided, so we said, well, we want you to read out your scripture where you see this. I said, come on, let's just walk through a couple of passages. And they tried to get me all over. I said, no, 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 no. We're going to stick to one passage, and we're going to talk about this passage in context. And we walked through, and we got about halfway. One guy was two of them, right? It's always two against me, or sometime I've been in conversation, there have been four or five people uh, uh, of this particular sect uh, coming uh, against me, and it always ends the same. And this is the way it ends. We have to go. We can't stay. And I said, wait a minute. Why do you guys always leave right when it's getting good 
Why do you always leave right when it's getting good? Well, because we have the ladies out there. I said, well, then why are you, why are you walking around then? If you want to enter into a conversation, why are you walking around in the first place if you got to go? Because I'll stay, I'll stay out here all day with you if I have to. They said, well, we can't do that. One guy said, well, I'll come back. He said, you just tell me when. I said, you come back next Wednesday. I'll be glad to have you. So this past Wednesday, uh, my other son who was out there cutting the grass. He said, Dad, he's outside. Because I told him to expect someone to come to my door. He said, he's outside, Dad. I was like, okay, cool. No problem. So he rings the doorbell. I go down to the doorbell. And he looks at me. He has a really strange look in his face. Then he smiles. It was inauthentic smile. And he says, I'm here, but I can't stay. I'm like, what do you mean you can't stay? She says, well, here it is again. We've been out all day, and it's hot, and my wife is not feeling. I said, but didn't you know you had to meet with me? He says, but I want you to have this right here. I said, I don't want, I don't want your paper. He says, but I want you to read. I said, okay, let me look at your paper. It was, it was nothing but opinion. Not his scripture, not my scripture. It was all based on opinion. But boy, I told him, I said, when you come to my house on Wednesday, I said, you bring your Bible, you bring the Greek text, and we're going to sit down and we're going to talk about this thing. And he just gave me a paper full of, full of opinions. There's no scripture know-how. Not even in the false scripture there. See, the idea is that there are people who, who suppress the truth they really don't want to hear the truth even about the very things that, uh, that they proclaim. And as I was telling a gentleman yesterday, he says he's been elevated at his church. I said, you've been elevated at your church? I said, do you know the scripture? And he looks at me. He says, what do you mean? I said, what do you know about the scripture, brother? I said, you just got a title at your church. What do you know about the word of God? And it was just silent. And I ministered to him straight for about 10 minutes. Then he says, tell me what I got to do. He says, can you give me a plan? He said, because you're talking this and it just sounds right. I said, no problem at all. So this is, you got to do this, you need to do this, and you need to put yourself before God and you study the scripture to show yourself approved. I said, because the bottom line is anybody can think of opinions, uh, but, uh, but our opinions and, and our facts, it comes from the word of God and through the move of the spirit. Uh, and it has to be the combination of both of those. It can't simply be only the word of God because it, then it only becomes an intellectual pursuit and it can't only be of the move of the spirit else you will disdain the things of the God but it must be uh, the things of the spirit combined with the things of God in order to realize truth in our life and this is what we move for and this is how we live and this is what we impart to the souls of those people who are currently dying and on their way to an eternal separation of God it must be both, I don't care anymore. I just don't care. I don't care. I'm like, I'm like a rebel. I'm a rebel for Jesus Christ. You open that door and I'm going to walk in and tell you, yes, you are going to hell. You don't like it, but I tell you what, you've heard the truth. Do with it as you will. So those who reject the Lord's desire to enter into that relationship with them, uh, that they are doomed to an eternality without him, 
Charles Ryrie says this, theologian, theologian of the 20th century, and I quote, the human mind, though often brilliant in what it can achieve, suffers limitations and darkening. Human experiences, even religious ones, you hear that? Lack reliability as sources of the true knowledge of God unless they conform to the word of God. You see, this theologian, he's saying the same thing that what we experience, that it must conform to the word of God. In the end, God's patience is meant to lead us to repentance. Verse 4, But do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? See, that's what it's about. That God, he, he wants to lead us to repentance. You know, why doesn't God do things uh, in this world with all this evilness going on? Let's face it. If there really is a God, and this is, uh, uh, I think, uh, uh, of some legitimacy in which people ask, it's a good question. If God is real, right, why does he do something about the evil that exists in the world? Right? You may have asked this question, God, if you are real, why don't you do something about this person who's beat me up? If this is really real, why don't you do something about that boss on my job? Why don't you do something about it? The bottom line is, when we think about evilness in the world specifically, is that with evilness in the world, that in order for God to finally bring his judgment, he will bring judgment upon the entire earth. God's desire is that no man, no woman, no child would perish. That he loves you so much, he wants to give you every opportunity in order to come to him. Every opportunity. That's because of his love and his grace. He's not going to say you're this and you're that. When I think about the, um, the woman at the well who knows she had all these men, yet she was trying to downplay Jesus and his ministry, even though Jesus knew the plight of her life, he never condemned her, but basically said, now is your time. Now, right now. Forget all the dumb, just don't sin anymore. Forget all the dumb stuff, just come on to me. And God saved that woman. And she went to go on to tell other folks who, again, were drawn to Jesus Christ because of what he had done to her and her testimony and how she had interacted with, with Jesus Christ. In the end, God will appropriately give what is deserved. God is impartial. Verse 9, there will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. So in other words, 
God said he's going to be impartial in his judgment. That if you want life, God said he's going to give you life. But if you reject his life, he's going to let you reject his life. He wants us so desperately. Not to be people who are hypocritical. Not to be people who judge others. But to demonstrate his life and his love just as he has demonstrated to us. Let's pray.